Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, we continue with this study, which is a nice way of saying it. This is a confrontation. This is a confrontation that is meant to help the people of God wrestle with his scandalous grace. It is so easy for us to enjoy being the beneficiaries of that grace, but sometimes we're not as happy for others to receive it. And so as we continue to be confronted by the Lord with this very important lesson for us, as we look into the mirror of Scripture, I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Now, I'm going to begin reading in one, chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, this is one of those places where um, the editors of the Hebrew text and the editors of the English text didn't agree on versification. So, 117 in the English text is actually 2-1 in the Hebrew text. So, uh, we are going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 17, but this is no doubt chapter 2. Hope you enjoyed all that confusion. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you have heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us this morning to hear you speaking to us from your word. And help us to humble ourselves before it and to be willing to consider not just the parts that we like or the parts that are familiar, but help us, Lord, to embrace all that you have for us here today, for there is nothing here that is not intended for our good or your glory. So help us to listen, and then help us to embody what you say. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
I struggled throughout the week this week to figure out how to preach this sermon because I wrestled throughout the week with, with once again, the, the hyperbole in which this book is being written. I have noted in here so far that this, this, this entire book is written in such a way that all of the, the norms that you expect are being flipped on their head. The prophet is the one that is unwilling to speak on God's behalf. And the pagan sailors are the ones turning in faith uh, in, in the worship of the one true God. And all that has happened so far in spite of the prophet, in spite of his hard-heartedness against Gentiles, he has refused to carry out a task of going to the Ninevites, and yet God is still using this prophet. This prophet, in, in, in a great display of, of cartoonish hypocrisy, has told the sailors, I'm running away from Yahweh, who is the true God of, of earth and the seas. And this, this true God, who is the God of the seas, has hurled or flung a storm onto the waters to get Jonah's attention. And in the midst of having told them that he's running away from his God, when they ask him about himself, he says, I serve the one true God. If you can't chuckle at that. In the midst of running away, he's still stating very true theological statements. What a, what a wonderful confessionalist he is. And yet his confession, though it is, is highlighting his hypocrisy, is still a confession that the Lord uses in continuing to complete his covenant purposes of using the children of Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. God is on a mission. He is saving a people for His namesake. He is calling out sinners from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And for some reason, God has chosen to do this in the Old Covenant through working through the family of Abraham. So, so that the, the blessing that, that God has given to Abraham is a blessing that will pass throughout the world, through Abraham's children. The problem at this point in redemptive history is that Abraham's children do not want to participate in blessing the nations. They want to participate in conquering and ruling them. Now let that sink in for a second. They don't want to be faithful to Yahweh in his worship. Instead, they worship Yahweh, but they also worship the gods of the nations. They, they want to they hedge their bets. They want to be in the world and of the world. 
They, they are a people that instead of, of embodying God's covenant and His law, living holy lives as expressions of gratitude for having been redeemed from bondage and slavery in Egypt, instead, what they want to do is live like the world. They want to participate in its ways, and they think that they can do that, and it's okay. Because they've got the temple, and none of the nations do. We've got the Ark of the Covenant, none of the nations do. We, we, we have the, the laws, and we have the covenants, and we have the history, none of the nations do. So we can just... Enjoy the blessings of Yahweh even as we spite him to his face. And it's going to be okay because we've got all this stuff from God. It's not too hard to imagine living with that kind of faith at times, is it? I don't want to be vulnerable before people who hate me. And, and to present grace. Instead, what would be better is for me to win them to my political argument. It would be so much easier to win them to whatever earthly relationship I'd like to have with them where I have the upper hand, rather than maybe going into a dangerous situation and making myself available to God for him to use me to draw people out of sin and darkness. It's so much easier to argue over these other things than to actually embrace God's grace that fuels my self-sacrifice. This is the prophet. And as we have said, God is putting this particular, particular prophet before his covenant people because Jonah, in this cartoonish hypocrisy, is representative of God's people as a whole at this time. God's covenant people have split into two. The northern ten tribes the southern two tribes. The northern ten tribes, in the hardness of their hearts, they, they create their own temple. They won't even go down to the temple in Jerusalem. They, they make their own temple. We don't need to go down to them. We can make our own. The northern ten tribes, who never had a good king in the entirety of their history. And the southern two tribes, who had a few good ones, but most of them were bad. And that is because the people of God are not embracing their covenant identity and mission. They want to receive God's blessings, but they don't want to share those blessings around the world. They want to keep them for themselves, establish themselves as being better and superior, and then judging everybody around them. And they've made the mistake of thinking that simply because they are born from Abraham's physical lineage, that that means that they have Abraham's blessing. But the problem is that the Abrahamic blessing only comes by faith. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
And so everyone, regardless of physical lineage, everyone who embraces God's promises by faith and by faith alone are children of Abraham. And they receive the Abrahamic blessing. Our prophet is putting on grand display the the difficulties and the failures and the hard-heartedness and the hypocrisy of God's people at this time. And so God is trying to shake his people. He's trying to to wake them up because if they don't wake up and if they don't repent, guess what's going to happen? They are going to receive the covenant curses. Curses that he promised back in Deuteronomy. If you, while living with me in the land, if if you follow me, here are the blessings. If you don't follow me, here are the curses. And God has been patient for over a thousand years with them because they were never once faithful. And yet God withheld the curses. He withheld them, withheld them, withheld them, withheld them. But now things have have reached a a critical mass. And, And Yahweh once again is coming to his people to shake them and to wake them up. If you don't repent, if you don't return, If you don't stop this self-righteous, hypocritical confessionalism, I'm going to judge. What he wants them to do is embody the confessionalism that their mouths pronounce. The problem is not the confessionalism. The problem is the hypocrisy of not living up to what they say God has revealed. They are not embracing his truth, and they are not embodying that truth. They are spurning it, and in doing so, they are spurning God himself. Who will God awaken? Well, we saw last time that he has woken up the pagan sailors on the ship. And, the, and, and chapter 1 closes with these, these pagan sailors no longer being pagans. As, as they let go of all the false gods, they embrace the one true God, they offer sacrifices, and they vow vows. The question before us now is, will, will Jonah wake up? And it appears as though that he is starting to, even though I'm not convinced at this point that he is completely waking up in the way that he needs to. And I think chapter 4 confirms that for us. But here in, in Jonah chapter 2, what we find is that, is that Jonah offers a psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord because the Lord has not let him die now if you recall from chapter one i I noted that there was a strong contrast between yahweh's call on jonah to go up right get up go up go up get up and and we're told that jonah got up in order for him to go down 
He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. And at the end, he goes down into the water. Now here in chapter 2, we start seeing that he continues to go down because he doesn't just go down into the water. He goes down under the water. And he describes himself as, as, as being put in the most severe of circumstances. So that he goes down and down and down into, he says, the belly of Sheol itself, the place of the dead. And yet, as he he keeps going down and he keeps going down, he gets to, we are told, he gets to the very bottom, right? The reeds, the seaweed, right? That's on the bottom. It's wrapping around his head. He gets to the very bottom, he says, of the, of the land of those mountains where in the Jewish perspective, often the world is described as being built on the pillar of these two pillars of these mountains. And Sheol, the place of the dead, is described as being there at the bottom of those two mountains. What Jonah is saying here is, I can't go any further. I have hit literal bottom. And what does he find? God had prepared a fish. God is not surprised by Jonah's failure. He's not surprised by Jonah's hard-heartedness. He's not surprised by Jonah's hypocrisy. He's not surprised by his unwillingness to be a a conduit of grace and love to his enemies. He's not surprised. He's not surprised. He's not surprised. He's not surprised that Jonah is so hard-hearted that he would rather die by being thrown off the ship than to humble himself and repent Jonah doesn't know for sure that if he gets thrown off that the storm will end. Jonah doesn't know for sure that the sailors will be saved if if he goes overboard. He's still thinking of himself. And God is not surprised by any of it. And guess what? God is not surprised when you and I do it. He is not surprised by our sin. He knows it. He expects it. And he has prepared for it. Jonah doesn't go into the water with with God himself going, well, let's see what happens. Let's see if he can swim. Let's see if he knows the breaststroke or some backstroke. Or let's see how long he can hold his, his, his oxygen. We are told the Lord had prepared a fish. And, and in the Hebrew, the emphasis is on God's preparation of it. God's not surprised. He already had something waiting for Jonah. God loves us so much that he knows how we are and he prepares for it. Not just preparing himself to deal with his side of the relationship. He has prepared what we need for our side of the relationship even in those times when we are not looking for the way out. God in his love has already prepared it. 
But what is really important here for us as we look at this is if we think of God's love for us in terms of of God having some kind of grand purpose of, of just keeping us safe and warm and happy, then we do not understand God's purposes for his glory or for our joy. His purposes in calling a people to himself is to then conform the people to himself so that a sinful people can live in safety with a holy God. And what has to happen is something has to happen to the sinners. And God is the one who is gifting everything that needs to happen so that sinners will no longer be sinners that they can be holy and that they can dwell in the presence of a holy God forevermore. That's what God is doing. And so what God is doing for us right now is he is shaping us and he is forming us. We are clay in the hands of the potter. And he is going to make us into the image of who he is. When he calls us to be holy as I am holy, he is telling us what he is in the process of doing with us. But sometimes the clay is hard. Sometimes it's not soft and pliable. Sometimes it's hard and crusty. And it's hard to form and shape hard clay. You gotta work it. You gotta soften it. You gotta do what's necessary in order to, to work it out of that hard, crusty situation because if, 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 it, if you're hard and you're crusty and, and you try to do something with that, quite often it just breaks. God is not in the business of breaking us. He is in the business of molding and shaping us. And so He will soften us He will massage us in order to help us grow into his image. But that process is not easy. And it is oftentimes, it is not delightful. Sometimes we have to be thrown overboard. But God in his love does this, not because he is angry, but because his love. And not letting us get all the way to Tarshish. He will let us go part of the way. But then often he will create circumstances for us that are hard and that are difficult. In order to wake us up and make us have to look at ourselves in the mirror. And to be reminded that the truth we confess is also a truth we are to embody. God will allow us to get the consequences of our choices. But he does this as a way of pursuing us with his severe mercy. And he does this so that we will wake up and be reoriented once again, to be realigned once again with our need for him. He will do things to get us to cry out. Because he longs to be the God 
who is not just with us, but he longs for us to know that he has always been there. We are the ones that tend to forget. And so what has to happen for, for this to be achieved? He, he calls us and he redeems us, but he also goes with us. And when we start to stray, he will let us stray for a time, and then he grabs us and he brings us back. And there is no, there is no distance that you can go from God that he hasn't already prepared the thing that is needed to catch you there and to bring you home. He prepared the fish beforehand. And it is in the midst of him drowning that he remembers the Lord. He reaches out. He calls on the Lord. And the Lord does what? I got you. I have you. Jonah feels powerless. Sometimes we need that. Let me rephrase. Every time we need that. Because we are powerless if we distance ourselves from his presence and power. We need him, and he is always there, but we are the ones that have to be reminded of that so that we will actively engage with the God who is present and live within the power that he grants us to walk with him. But most of the time we're sinful, we're selfish, we're self-centered, We can only see things from our perspective. We can only see what we want. And we want him to use his power to help us achieve our agendas. Even when the agenda is a good agenda. We want him to fit into our narrative. What we're being called to remember is that all of us fit into his. And we have to be shaken so that we get out of our self-centeredness and we see ourselves once again as part of this body, part of this family. Those who are locked arm in arm as those loved by God and participating in his life and his love and his mission. Sometimes, though, the need is for his hand to be heavy. Psalm 32, the reason that God's hand was heavy, as we read earlier in the service, is not because God is a heavy-handed God. It was because of the hardness and the reticence of David to repent of his sin. And as he held on to that sin, what happened? Well, in 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 our clay metaphor, he was hardening and hardening and hardening and hardening, and that the Lord is going to you know, massage that and work that in order to help him to become more pliable, that's going to be heavy. It's going to be hard. Take hard clay and work with it. You don't get to just, you know, it's not Play-Doh. Sometimes that hand is heavy, not because of him, but because of us. But even that is a blessing for us to feel the weightiness of that hand on us so that we will feel the pressure 
so that we'll respond to the pressure. Because the response is, is not to, to look in at ourselves and to start hating ourselves and start saying to ourselves, oh, oh, I'm so horrible. I'm such a wicked child. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no good to God. This, I'm a horrible person. That's not the goal. The goal is to get us to step back and say, oh, my goodness, you are so gracious to me. I just spent three weeks forgetting you because I was focused on this other thing and you didn't crush me. But you just patiently worked with me to bring me back to that cognizance of your presence and your power in my life. Sometimes the the hand has to be heavy. Sometimes we have to be tossed overboard it is in those moments though that when we do what Jonah says here and we come to our senses when we remember and when we cry out what happens what God had prepared for us is right there From a big picture perspective, this is important for the people of God to realize. Those who are flirting with the covenant curses of God, this idea of of being cast into the waters, this idea of being swallowed up is is not just a, a metaphor that is used here in Jonah. It's not just a picture in the account of Jonah. It is used throughout the prophetic books to describe what is coming to the people of God if they don't repent. You can read of this in Hosea chapter 8. You can read of this in in Jeremiah 51. You can read of this in Psalm 124. You can read it over and over. Psalm 124.8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, a verse that has probably been said a million times this Lord's Day already, is built upon the earlier description of the need for his help. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. It's a a picture used throughout But even in the the raging waters, what did Psalm 32 say? That when we acknowledge our sins before the Lord, we, we pray to Him while He may be found, because when we are praying to the One who is found, what did we read? The waters do not overwhelm us. This is such a beautiful picture of the fatherly, loving, caring love of God who because of his covenant promises are not going to allow our failures to keep his purposes, which are for our good and his glory, to fail. 
And he relentlessly, relentlessly, relentlessly pursues and prepares beforehand everything that we need to be safe with him. Even if the circumstances that we are in here within the cursed world are not safe. He pursues us to the depths. And so Jonah, having acknowledged the danger and having acknowledged the the God who was present, acknowledges that his failure is not ultimate, that there is still hope. Yes, I was drowning. Yes, I went into the belly of Sheol itself. And yet I prayed, and you heard me from your temple, and I know that I will worship you in your temple again. Jonah knew that because of the grace and the love of God, what what God had prepared beforehand for, for Jonah was not only the judgment that was needed to wake him up, but also the future and the hope that comes to those who repent and work with God and walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. There is a future and a hope because God has prepared for his people a future and a hope. And because God has provided his people a prophet who would not only speak the true words of God, but who would perfectly embody those words to his people. God has prepared from before the foundations of the world something better than a fish. He has prepared a lamb. And that lamb has been sacrificed. And that blood was shed before the foundations of the world as God prepared everything that was needed because our sin would not surprise him and because our sin would not thwart his eternal purposes of loving us and living with us forevermore. And so, beloved, we, we want to avoid that, that false expectation of, of an easy, soft, you know, what, what looks like a, a worldly, you know, great life in thinking that that's what following Christ is all about. What we want to remember is what Jesus himself has told us, that to follow him we are to take up our cross. Flannery O'Connor once talked about this, this disconnect that many Christians have in, in what they expect out of the Christian life. What she says is what people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket, when of course it is a cross. God is not committed to making us safe, comfortable, and happy within a cursed world. He is committed to bringing us into the safety, into the perfection, into the eternal joy and comfort of living in God's unmediated glory forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. And he's going to get you there 
as he lets you learn how to how to crawl and as he lets you learn how to walk as he lets you learn how to run as you will fall and trip and stumble and get scraped knees every step of the way but he has prepared beforehand everything that is needed to keep you on that way and to bring you into the eternal satisfaction that he has already gifted you in Christ. And so, beloved, as we wrestle with the scandalous grace of God, let us wrestle as those who do relish that grace for us, who relish the love of God for us, and cultivate that. So that your heart would be more and more conformed to his who has eternal purposes laid out for this cosmos and saving some from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Take up your cross in the sure confidence of the eternal hope that has already been gifted to you as those who are children of Abraham, enjoying his blessings because of receiving it by faith and by faith alone. Take up your cross. Follow your Christ. Repent of your sins and cling to the perfect satisfaction of your heavenly high priest. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is humbling to us to recognize that because of your eternal purposes, including the eternal provision prepared in Christ beforehand as the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, that you are committed in your glory to our joy and satisfaction. And so forgive us for the many ways that we like to chase after the idols and we like to chase after false things. We like to look to the things that can rust and the things that can fade away, the temporary things, and and we often lose sight of the eternal realities. And so help us by faith to see those things that can only be seen by faith and, and through it all that we would once again embrace to the fullness that you are the God of relentless love and severe mercy who will not let us go. Lord, so impress upon us your covenant faithfulness that we would confess not only that you are the true Lord who has made heaven and earth, but that we would confess that you are the covenantally faithful God whose love will never let us go. Lord, help us to sow this deeply within our souls so that we would share it broadly with a lost and dying generation. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.